Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Today, we're doing our pre-camp offensive preview again this is just a primer to get our head straight ready for the season and uh, in fact even just getting it ready for camp and we're going to come back before the season and update a lot of this content but uh, we want to at least have a jumping off point where we are all sort of the same page with with some of the names and the rosters and the positions and and what we're really watching for looking for uh, during uh, during fall camp and so that's uh, that's what we're doing here a lot of excitement we have a three-part podcast series on pre-camp, and so this is two. Uh, first was coaches, two is offense, three is defense. We have a four-part article series on the website, alabamafootballpodcast.com, and uh, really in the podcast, we're doing defense and special teams together. In the articles, we break those out. We do have uh, some content that we is in the written that's not in the audio and some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, you know, audibly in the podcast is, is not necessarily all sort of broken out in, um, in the articles. So both are, or either can stand alone or they make good companion pieces. So um, <clears throat> if you want to check out the, the content, uh, the written content uh, over there as well, we're going to try to get all of these released before the start of fall camp, which is August the 5th. So um here we go. We're going to jump into offense. Our last show, we broke down all of the new coaches. And so today we're going to break down uh, sort of the offensive side of the ball. We're going to step through position by position, you know, kind of like we do. And uh, and just kind of hit some of the highlights, some of the questions, some of the watch items that, uh, that we have in mind. So overall, sort of ramping ourselves up for the offensive discussion. We want to talk about uh, Bill O'Brien the new offensive coordinator. And again, we break him down in more detail in the, in the coaches show. If you haven't listened, go check it out. Uh, but super excited about what Bill O'Brien brings to uh, the offensive staff, uh, the offensive room. I think he has the opportunity to be as multiple a coach as, as, as we've seen. Uh, and Saban talks about being multiple, being multiple, being multiple. And sometimes we haven't had the coach that could do that. Sometimes we haven't had the personnel that we could uh, fully uh, trust to do that. And I think right now under Bill O'Brien and under the evolution of the offense, you know, what Lane Kiffin brought, what Sark brought, 
I think right now what we have is sort of the full on opportunity to manifest a maximization of, of a multiple offense. And so we're going to talk through each of the positions, uh, the versatility, the numbers and versatility of the players, uh, I think is impressive. Uh, and I think we have a coach, especially with his background, uh, NFL, uh, and I think the Patriots, I think that, uh, he, he's going to be, uh, especially talented, uh, especially adept, uh, at bringing about a multiple offense, a diverse, uh, offense. Let's give it time. It's not going to happen week one. In fact, it may be the evol- it may be something we see in one game, but we don't see for another couple games. And so multiple is not about one play to the next, one series to the next, one drive to the next. Multiple is about how does the game, how does the team not only evolve, but what facets do they reveal as the season progresses? So I'm making a I'm making a statement that we're not going to see on the first series against Miami, that we're not going to have fully baked and unwrapped and experienced by halftime of that game. It's going to be something that when we get into October, we're going to say, damn it, this offense is pretty stinking good. And and if you stop one thing, there's six other things that are going to sort of knock you down. And so um, so that's sort of more of a prediction, but I'm, that is what I'm looking for. Uh, that'll be hard to see in camp. We'll maybe see some storylines that sort of lend itself in that way. So, uh, yeah, I think this uh, offense might be a little bit less explosive than last year. Uh, Sark kind of took the approach, uh, all gas, no breaks. I don't think it's quite explosive in that way, but I think it's it's uh, significantly more versatile, significantly more multiple. And, hey, here's a prediction, and I think I'll probably repeat this again at the end. I think that – you know what? I'm going to save it to the end. There we go. All right. So prediction coming at the end. So let's jump into the position, quarterback position. I'd look. I think we all we all know what this is, right? This is going to be a Bryce Young show. Uh, I think he's the clear starter. I do think it may take some time for uh, him to fully develop. And again, so it's not something we're going to see by halftime of the of the Miami game. But I think he's going to be very talented, and I think he's going to progress. I think he's going to develop. He's going to grow before our eyes, and and that's an expression that we've used before. And I think we're going to use it uh, again with Bryce. You know, I know there are some that have said, oh, you know, Bryce looked okay last year, but he didn't look, you know, just incredible. Well, he was running the Mac Jones. He was running an offense more tailored to, for Mac Jones. And that's not a knock on anyone. It's just, it's, it, you know, plus he was a freshman. And so I think we're running, we're going to run a system that's more geared towards what Bryce does well, not what Mac does well. And so I think we're going to see, you know, maybe some more design rollouts, maybe some more use of, of his, uh, his athleticism. I think the, the talent is there and the reports that, that I sort of see reporters sort of put together or sites put together around summer workouts have been very promising for Bryce. And so that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to, to see unfold. The real competition at the quarterback position is going to be for the number two. Uh, it's, is it going to be sophomore Paul Tyson or is it going to be true freshman Jalen Milrow? And so by saying that, you sort of get, hey, we're really thin at this position. The starters, Bryce, who's you know played a handful of snaps, has not started. And the two backups, Paul Tyson hasn't started, played significantly fewer snaps. And Jalen Milrow is a, a true freshman. So those are the three uh, scholarship quarterbacks. And so the competition at number two, really, when we think about who the players are, it reveals that we're that Alabama is really thin. Uh, from a depth and experience standpoint. doesn't mean the talent's not there because I do believe that it is, uh, but it's really, really thin. And so what that means, the translation there is that 
because Bryce is the guy. He's going to get a lot of reps, a whole lot of reps, especially early uh, in the season. Even when games start to look like blowouts, he's going to get additional reps. In fall camp, he's going to get an, an additional sort of heaping portion uh, of, of the reps. And it's going to be all about getting him ready because it doesn't matter having the backup guy ready if your number if your number one guy's you know not ready and so you kind of have to take a risk well if you put all your eggs in your starter basket then you don't you know what happens if he gets hurt well what happens if you don't have anybody that's ready to play uh and so i think that's that's got to be the focus and that's going to be that's going to be kind of be the takeaway there so uh so definitely watch watch for that i think jalen uh, milro and and there's been some footage of him i think he's a beast uh i i really do I don't know if quarterback's his best position. I've heard that he's a little bit raw. That's not a bad thing. I just, you know, he's he's coming out of high school. But I do think he wins the number two job. And so I think all of those those things can coexist. Uh, he may not be a long-term quarterback. I think he's raw at the position, but I think he wins the number two job. And I think he wins a number two job for a couple of reasons. His, his upside is phenomenal. I think he can win games with his legs, uh, much like Jalen Hurts did. And so I think he brings some of that dynamic to the position. And also, Bryce Young is going to be a mobile quarterback. And so when you think about the offense that's being tailored for Bryce Young, who will it better suit? Will it better suit statuesque Paul Tyson? Or will it better suit uh, a Jalen Hurts-esque Jalen Milrow? Well, I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. And so that's what that's what we'll see uh, from a quarterback competition standpoint. I think Milrow will win, uh, will win the second job. And so we'll see how that plays out. Another factor, and I kind of hate to to think down this this path, but you know, let's play a minute. I think we probably want to start the clock on Milrose eligibility. And I say that because uh, five star uh, Tyler Simpson is coming in with an ex recruiting class 2022, and uh, Arch Manning is making a decision in 2023. Uh, and I really do like an Alabama football program that's winning national titles that has Coach Saban at the helm and has three NFL head coaches uh, on the staff. I think that really positions well uh, for Arch uh, making his decision. So not all the way a prediction, but uh, if I had to make one, I'd say we get him. All right, so that's the uh, that's the quarterback position, uh, not only for today, but I guess into the future. Let's talk about the running back position. This is another group that's, uh, that's thin on experience, uh, but just bursting at the seams with uh with potential so let's recap we lost Najee harris we all love and uh Najee for what he did uh we lost keelan uh keelan robinson uh k rob now he set out last year uh with the COVID year and so you could air quote say you know we don't we're not gonna miss him because we didn't have him last year and then we lost uh kyle edwards who was one of the three freshmen that came in last year he's the one of the three that didn't play and so you could say well you know never knew him to miss him and you wouldn't be wrong uh, other than just uh, additional depth. Uh, Keelan Robinson will miss, and then we'll, we'll talk about him in just a minute. But let's not get mad at the people who aren't, aren't here. Let's celebrate the people that are here. And we've got five running backs that just are outstanding that we should all feel very, very comfortable with and very excited to see. And so I think uh, – and, and I sort of break them into, into tiers, and they're thin, thin tiers, thin, thinly stacked tiers. Uh, Brian Robinson is going to be the starter. I don't think that's a question. I think Jace McClellan is just right there. We saw his burst uh, a couple of times last season, and I so wanted to see Jace get an opportunity to carry the ball uh, against Ohio State. 
because I think his burst, his explosiveness, I think he could have, potentially would have run for a long touchdown against, let's call it a white linebacker (laughs) Ohio State team that was gassed at the end of the game. And I think Saban intentionally didn't play Jace because he knew that Jace could bust a a 60-yard touchdown. And it might be more probable than not that he would do it with the, the state of the Ohio State team just, just again, just being gassed. And so I think that he did not want another Joust of Fowler moment uh, with a team that's already beat up and bruised. And so he withheld Jace. Uh, and I so, so wanted to see that happen. I think Trey Sanders is probably the most intriguing guy uh, on the roster. Man, has he been injury prone? Uh, he lost his freshman uh, season to a foot injury, and in, uh, and right after bursting out last year against Mississippi State, 12 carries, 80 yards, uh, really looked fluid, elusive, really sort of st- the, hit, was hitting his stride. And a couple of days later is in a car accident, uh, has a significant hip injury, and is out for the season. He is a player, when we think about you know the, the five guys that we've got in the room, he is talented enough. To, to be the the most talented of the five. And he's got the, the injury history enough that he could finish fifth in the order. And so if you ranked him, like how would you rank him one, two, five? Trey could be in any, you could make a case for him being in any of those positions. And that, that makes him very, very intriguing. So, so how does he look during camp? Does he, does, you know, are the reports are that he's back healthy, like literally back, not just there in person, but uh, is he there athletically as well? Roydell Williams is another true freshman that came in. Uh, was sophomore now. Came in with uh, with Jace, and uh, they sort of alternated some reps in a, in a couple of games. And Jace looked better. And so, was that a circumstance of play? I don't know, but I do hear uh, continue to hear really good things about uh, Roydell, and he was a highly sought after uh, recruit. So I think he's got. Uh, I think he has a lot of gas in the tank. And then true freshman, five star running back. Uh, I think he was rated the number one running back in the country. Another one of those for Alabama, right, is uh, Kamar Wheaton. And uh, he's a fellow that just his youth may keep him back a little bit, but I think he has as much raw talent and raw potential as any of the five. And so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to start. If I were to break it down, look, I'd say it like this. I think Brian Robinson starts. I think Jason McClellan is the de facto starter. And so Brian's going to start because he's going to get the first carries of the game. Jace may get the most carries during the course of a game, and he may get the most carries sort of in the critical moments of the game. And so I would call him a starter from that regard. And I think Kamar, uh, I think he's a future star. And we may see glimpses of that this season, but I think he's a a future star. We talked about Dre. He could finish one to five. And I would say Rodell is a little bit of of an unknown. And again, did did what we see between he and Jace last year is that, did we see the differential of their talent, or was that more of a circumstance? And so this year, I think we get, uh, I think we get more of an opportunity to ask and answer that question. I, a couple of predictions, and and these will sound like bummers. And as I as I look at them, not all five of these guys finished their careers at Alabama. And I'm not trying to be an ass or a jerk, and I'm not trying to kick one of the guys off the team. I just think the reality is this is a deep room. We lost two guys that said the opportunity here. I mean, Najee went pro. He graduated, but Keelan Robinson and Kyle Edwards, they both said, I want to go, I want to play. And so they left to play. And so these five guys, Robinson will leave. Uh, obviously, he's going to graduate. And so there'll be, you know, four. And we're already bringing in 
a couple of commitments in this next running class. And so my point is they don't all five finish at Alabama. And those are <clears throat> that's a good problem to have. Uh, I guess I'll say it that way. We will. And then, and then the other, and again, these are kind of bummer-ish, but uh, Keelan, uh, Keelan Robinson, we will miss him. And we don't know that we're going to miss him, but we're going to miss him when he busts 20 and 30 and 40-yard runs down at Texas and really adds a prolific uh, element to their offense. Uh, he, he strikes me as a little bit of Josh Jacobs. And so I think uh, I think we're, we're going to realize, oh, we do miss this guy when he goes and has uh, some success at Texas. And begrudgingly, I'll root for him uh, because he's there with Sark in Texas and uh, sort of sort of breaking out and uh, having an outstanding career. Uh, I won't like it, but if Texas has to score a touchdown, I guess I'd rather it be Keelan Robinson. How about that? All right, so now we're going to move on to wide receiver. I'm going to tell you what wide receiver position is this year at Alabama. It's a Christmas morning grab bag. And so you're going to reach in and you're going to pull something out and you're not going to know what it is, but it's probably going to be really good. And that's exactly what the wide receiver position is going to be at Alabama. It's not the known of what's a Henry Ruggs and it's a Jerry Judy and it's a Devonta and it's a Waddle. And so I know the top four and they're all outstanding. It's not that it's, it's lesser known commodities. I mean, we had two years in a row, uh, Alabama had two years in a row with um, two receivers picked in the, t- in the first round, you know, that's just incredible. That just doesn't happen. And so what we have is or what the, the tide uh, has, the roster has, is a lot of talent, uh, but more sort of unknowns. And so it's going to be un- it's going to be fun and interesting to sort of unwrap these and see how they come together. And so as, as we think about that and we think about camp and and, you know, what does it look like today? Let's just run through, you know, some of the some of the names kind of at the top of the list and, uh, and a couple of thoughts that I have around each of these. And I, and I sort of bucket these uh, a couple of different ways. And so let's, let's sort of step, step it through. And so the top four guys, I am, can, I am predicting them as part of the primary rotation. It's not to say the other guys won't play, uh, but going in, someone has to be first, right? Even when Saban's says administrative ordering, right? Someone has to be first, someone has to be. And so when I think about who's, who would I consider the primary uh, rotation right now? Well, I think it's clearly John Mitchie. Uh, and, and what's interesting about Mechie is we consider him the biggest known of this, re, of, of this receiving group. And that's true, but only to a point. He's never been the number one. He's only been, you know, at best last year when Waddle went down, he went from a three to a two. Um, and, and this year he's, he, he's going to be the number, he's going to be the guy, he's going to be the number one. And so that's going to be, that's an interesting sort of progression or, uh, elevation of his career. So that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Slade Bolden, we kind of know what we get uh, with Slade. Very uh, very versatile, very talented. He doesn't have the same top end as some of the other guys, but can be very, very effective. And I think we're going to see uh, O'Brien sort of unlock uh, some of Slade Bolden in the slot. So that's going to be fun uh, to watch. Uh, Ohio State transfer, the irony there, uh, uh, Jamison Williams joins the, joins the staff. Uh, or joins the, uh, the the wide receiver core, and he's an interesting he's an interesting cat because he only had you know eight catches I think last year uh, at Ohio State uh, he did have a catch against Alabama he is heralded as just a top flight speed player in some regards mentioned in 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 this, I've seen people mention him in the same way 
that we talk about Henry Ruggs. And so if he has that caliber of speed, then that that's quite impressive. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see, you know, how he plays out. Now, I'll just say this. That is bad news for Xavier Williams. And I have seen articles that Xavier's on and or off uh, the official roster. And so we're going to find out sort of officially when, when camp sort of rolls in, what's the deal uh, with Xavier. But Xavier is a guy that's been around for a couple of years. And the plus, the praise always with Xavier is like, this dude has top flight speed, top end speed. And so that may be true, but there's clearly other things missing, or we would not need to go shopping for a Jamison Williams. And so Jamison Williams, if he comes in, masters the playbook, understands what he needs to do, and truly demonstrates a a top-end gear, then that is exceedingly bad news for uh, a guy like Xavier Williams. Not rooting against him, I'm just calling it like I see it. Uh, and then the fourth guy that I would put in the primary rotation, and some of you might put much higher than four, but you know we got to talk about him in some sort of sequence, and that's a Jay Hall. A Jay's a true freshman, uh, enrolled early, and looked like a star during uh, a day. I think he had 11 catches and really, really uh, stood out. So I think it, I think the additional reps, the additional practice, the additional gameplay, uh, I think that positions him well relative to some of the other guys. Now, another category are some of the sophomores from last year. And I think about Javon Baker. And if there's ever been a mystifying player, uh, to me right now, it's Javon Baker. He played in so many games last year. When Waddle went down and then there was the uh, sort of a week off, I think it was a bye week, and maybe there was a COVID week, and there were, there was a an opportunity where somebody has to step up. And Baker had played in so many games, he'd gotten so many reps, that he was the natural choice. And it turns out it was Billingsley that really sort of burst uh, on the scene, scene as, a, as a pass catcher. And But those next couple games, Javon Baker, he seemed to play every offensive snap, even when the backups came in. He stayed on the field. And I thought he is about to just burst out because they're we're giving him all these reps for a reason. And I didn't check the stat before I hopped on the on the mic, but I don't think he caught a pass all season. And if he did, maybe it was one. I don't think he had many more targets than that either. And so he mystifies me for all the reps that he gets. And Saban doesn't put a guy on the field if he doesn't trust him. But he wasn't targeted. And so to me, that that was – that was very interesting. Another soft last year, uh, or freshman last year, sophomore this year, Treshawn Holden, he had eight catches in A-Day. Uh, so he had a big A-Day, but it was quiet because it was behind Ajay Hall. Hall. And so uh, it's interesting to see is Bolden gonna, or is Holden going to develop into sort of a, uh, a move-the-sticks kind of player, uh, third-down pass catcher. That'll, that'll be interesting to see. But I think that uh, he might be better positioned to find a role than, than even Javon Baker. And to me, that's that's interesting. And then TJB, uh, Jones Bell is, is a player that uh, I don't know that he may have seen some action last year, certainly not a lot. Uh, I'm not sure how he is, is going to shake out. And that's not to say that I don't think he's going to. I'm just saying I don't know where he's going to land and, and sort of this list of names. What's interesting, and so this maybe is a, is a third bucket, are the true freshmen. Uh, we've talked about Hall. But uh, some of the other uh, true freshmen, 
uh, Ja'Cory, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, Christian Leary, and JoJo Earl, an incredibly talented group of wide receiver. And if you look at the freshmen coming in that were part of the, the 21 recruiting class and the sophomores that were part of the 20 recruiting class, and I'm not mad at any of the individuals, but if you just look at rankings, sort of one to whatever, uh, and then scores, uh, the scores that they put, and, and they sort of mesh together. Uh, but if you, if you look at how do they rank relative to their peers in that class, and then how do they rank against uh, numerically against maybe sort of the perfect uh, recruit, if you will. Uh, so I, I look at that as maybe two different metrics. All three of last year's guys ranked behind all four of this year's guys. And so that doesn't mean they're not as good because you get on the field and you compete and you learn the playbook and you grit and persevere. So they could all be better players, but I wouldn't dismiss the rankings out of hand either. And so I think the the question really is, is this freshman class, do they have the opportunity as a whole to, to leapfrog last year's class? And I think they do. And so that's going to be uh, that's going to be very very interesting to watch. Uh, I'm calling it the pecking order. Watch sort of the pecking order, and it's going to be really hard uh, during camp. Maybe some of the scrimmages, you know, we see who sort of flashes. Um, and as we get early into the season, we'll we'll almost immediately start to see what the rotation is. Uh, but the pecking order, I think, is going to be very very interesting, and then maybe even how it evolves. Uh, maybe the first month of the season. So definitely watch uh, through camp, and I think that's I think that potentially is a battle that carries over into uh, into into the season. I think there's an incredible amount of talent. It's just aligning the talent with with the opportunity. I think uh, J-Mo, Jameson, uh, Jameson Williams, I think he might be a critical component to this offense. And, and, and it'll be a subtle role. It'll be one of those things that, that we'll talk about on the podcast that you won't see necessarily anywhere else. But I think he has the opportunity to, to really be critical in opening up the offense. If the speed is real and he can be a legit threat down the field, then I just think that opens up the underneath for the short passing. I think it opens up the running game. It may force uh, defenses to play a too high safety, which again, circular, that opens up the underneath. And so I think there's, I, I think that may be a critical sort of pivotal thing. And when you think about, you know, Saban going out and getting someone from, the uh, the transfer portal. It may be that he said, "I need one of those. I need someone that can take the top off the defense, because that opens up everything else." And so he may have been, he may have been brought in specifically for that purpose, and will be given uh, every opportunity to do that. Which again, that does not speak well for Xavier Williams. Sorry, buddy. And and of course, that doesn't mean he's just a decoy, because if that's the case, you just cover him one on one, and you don't worry about you know over the top help. And so we'll have to go to him. And so he will have to burn teams and put it on film that he can burn teams for him to be valuable and available. Otherwise, you put a fast guy out there and just run nines all the time. But if, if dude can't catch, he's not a threat. And so you need you need someone that that uh, that can be a threat. And so that's going to be interesting to see. There's a couple of thoughts, a couple of watch items, a couple of predictions there uh, at the um, wide receiver position. All right, so we've got a couple more. Let's talk tight end, and then we'll talk offensive line. Tight end, I think, is pretty simple, right? I think Jaleel Billingsley is the guy. He's far and away. He's got the talent. Uh, I think he has the potential to be a breakaway player 
uh, within the conference, maybe even nationally, but certainly within the conference uh, at the position. Texas A&M has a guy, Waylon Meyer, Waylon Mayer. I really like that guy. And he's more of a traditional sort of tight end. I think Jalil is more of an untraditional pass-catching tight end. And so I like both of them a lot. And then uh, Billingsley is our guy. Very, very talented. Look forward to seeing him really having a breakout uh, season. Uh, he sort of broke out second half of last season. Uh, I think I think he can do that for the entirety uh, of the season. I think, uh, again, we think about, you know, where is the question then in the tight end room? For me, the question isn't until much further down the roster, but there is a question, who's the number two guy? And, uh, and sort of the candidates for that are uh, Cameron Latou and uh, Major Tennyson. And I think there's two components working against Major Tennyson. One is, I don't think, for my money, he hasn't demonstrated it. And so this is his fourth or fifth year uh, on campus. And I don't, I haven't seen him demonstrate enough to be, and, and when you talk about Alabama, the number two tight end is really a co-number one tight end because we run a lot of 12 personnel and, and we're versatile and f- versatile and flexible with what we do with the tight ends. And so I've not seen enough out of Major to suggest that he's ready to take on you know, the role even that Miller Forstall uh, had last year. And this is why we really wanted Miller to come back and really hope that, that he would take advantage of the COVID season and come back. And he didn't when we root him well. I just don't think, you know, Miller and Major are the same sort of types of tight end. I just, the disparity in what we've seen from them is significant. So I think that works against Major. Another thing that works against Major is that Jalil is more of the big-bodied wide receiver. And Major is more of that than he is an inline uh, blocker. And so I think that bodes well for, for Cameron Latou, a former defensive end. He's got more he, he's got more heft. He's got more weight to him, more strength. And so he is more apt to be the inline tight end. And so I think it's Jaleel Billingsley and Cameron Latou with uh, Major Tennyson sort of filling in around the gaps. That, that would be my prediction. I think Cameron Latou is going to have a big season. Um, and, and I say big season, he's not going to be the team star, but he's going to pick up a couple of key first downs. He's going to make a couple of big blocks. He's going to maybe score a touchdown here, and he's going to position himself to even be a bigger contributor uh, next year. We will see some Kendall uh, Randolph at the tight end position. He's more of an offensive lineman. And so uh, when Alabama lines up in the 13 personnel or three tight ends in a short yardage uh, situation, uh, I think Randolph is a guy that we'll bring in in that situation. The biggest question that I have at the tight end position, and I get all the way sort of the end of the roster, the tight end roster, uh, are the youngsters. And so Caden Clark, you know, they're separated by a recruiting class, but I think Caden may have uh, gray shirted. I think he came in uh, with a, a high school injury. Uh, but Caden Clark and Robbie Outs, uh, true freshman coming in this season, I think I think their battle for playing time, and it's deeper in the rotation, and it'll be later in games, but their battle for playing time, I think I think will be interesting. They have the opportunity. One of these guys has the opportunity to be the number two tight end next season. And so when we think about you know Jalil and Cameron and Major, that's three. And so, and, and you count, you know, Kendall, if you want to, is four. And so they're four and five or five and six, depending upon if you count, you know, Kendall as a, as a tight end. And so to think that they're that far down the roster, but they're a year away from one of them being number two. And, and so that's why I think their competition this fall 
is going to be compelling. Now, you may not hear about it, a lot of it. And so, you know, look for anything that you can get. But I think that's going to be an interesting uh, battle. And then as we get into the season, watching, you know, which one comes in and what are the situations that they're coming in? Uh, that, could, that could be telling as well. But certainly which one comes in first uh, is, is going to tell you something. Now, a, a side note and a little bit, uh, and again, I'm not picking one guy over the other necessarily. I've not seen them play. But there's something about Robbie Outs wearing number 45 that makes me wonder, is he going to play a little fullback, a little H-back? And so is he going to be a little ver- versatile uh, in that way? And I so hope, again, I'm not rooting for him as much as I'm hoping that please let there be someone that plays that role because I think – because that's an awesome role. You know, Jowson Fowler was just so much fun. And so uh, I think there's an opportunity for that role. It's a lesser – it would be a lesser used role in sort of this brand of football, but it would sort of swing the pendulum back the other way. It's sort of – it's counterculture uh, to have that type of player making that kind of uh, – those kinds of plays. And so I think that would be a lot of fun to see, a little bit of throwback uh, fullback, uh, H-back type of play. And so when we when we have a true freshman coming in, sort of tight end position that lends itself to that, uh, and he sports a number 45, and there's something about that name, Robbie Outs, just sounds like he's going to, you know, leather helmet somebody. So something to watch for there. But, again, that's my tight end question is much further down uh, sort of the roster of questions or the, the roster of positions, so to speak. Now let's talk offensive line. And I'm going to tell you this. Um, I thought about this, almost did this in a podcast uh, in the spring, and I wish I had because I'd, I'd already kind of be on record. Even before the NFL draft, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking if I could redraft – and I've done the show, the show before. Uh, if we could redraft the players from last year's team, who would we most want to have back? And there's so many players we'd want to have back from last year's you know, team. You know, obviously Mac and Najee and Devonta and man, we'd love to see a healthy Waddle play a full season. And Patrick Sertain is a lockdown corner, and Barmore is just a, you know, a big, you know, all the all of these players. And damn, we all love Landon Dickerson, right? And so, like, who we'd love to have just any of these guys back. And you know what I think? I think, man, I'm not trying to piss people off, but. I think if I could pick any player from last year's team and bring back to this year's team, I'd bring back Alex Leatherwood. Wow, that's crazy, right? But let me tell you why I would do that. The offensive line, five positions, right? If you bring back Leatherwood, it stabilizes both tackle positions because Evan stays at right and Alex Wood uh, and, and Leatherwood, Alex Leatherwood, uh, is it left? And so bringing him back to fill one position actually stabilizes two positions because you just repeat the starters from last year. And so from that perspective, if you count Chris Owens as the returning starter at center, which you can or can't, that's fair, uh, and then Emil, Mecchi, uh, Emil uh, Echior at right guard, well, if you've got Leatherwood, now you've got four of the five positions returning starters from the national championship game at, at the same position. So that's that's four out of five by only adding one player. Taking out Leatherwood, you have two of the five repeating at the same uh, repeating at the same position. 
And now you've got three players because you've got Evan Neal, but Evan Neal is moving from right to left. And so what that does is that move, you could say, disrupts two positions. Now I'm not going to say he's not going to be an outstanding right tackle or left tackle, but if I can have more stability, more stability is better than sort of less, right? And so I don't know. That's sort of my math, sort of my logic on that. Now, I say that as sort of a fun, thought-provoking exercise. I guess that's my hot take, so to speak, because, you know, if you listed out the players, who's going to put Leatherwood first, right? But that's a compelling case for it, at least I think. But I don't say that in any way to, you know, ill will or or, or denigrate this year's offensive line, because uh, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be, uh, and in fact, you know, what we're going to see during camp, all the reports and the articles and sort of the, it's going to be competition and rotation and rotation and competition. What we want to watch for is how quickly does the first unit stabilize? There's always going to be, oh, we're experimenting with this play over here and this play over here. But how quickly do we get to, oh, it's this, oh, that, okay, it's the same starting five. And there's movement because we're trying to figure out backups in the second unit and all that. But the first unit, how fast does that stabilize? And so I think there's the potential for it to stabilize pretty quick. And so maybe the first week, and then I think the rest of camp, uh, my prediction is the the remainder of camp after the first week is probably the first unit pretty, uh, is pretty stable. And what do I think that looks like? I think at left tackle, I think it's Evan Neal. At center, it's Chris Owens. And at right guard, it's Emil Echior. And so all that's predictable. We all know those things. I think what we see, I think these are the sort of the big competitions. At left guard, I think that the primary competition is Javon uh, Cohen and Damian George. And Saban was was really effusive in his praise of, of Javon. And I thought he was really, you know, looking good sort of late in the season last year and and in in A Day in, in spring as well. So he, he's a character that I think has the opportunity to to step in at that left guard uh position. Damian George is uh he's a beast. He is huge. And so he sort of reminds me of, of Deontay Brown a little bit, although although I think you know George is probably a little more nimble. And so I think they compete for that left guard uh position. Uh Darren Dalcourt's gonna compete at center. But I don't think he beats out uh, Chris Owens. And at the right tackle position, I think the competition there is between J.C. Latham uh, and also uh, Damian George. I think that he may sort of ISO because I think he's one of the best six linemen, Damian George's. And so he's going to look at can he outplay Javon at guard or can he outplay J.C. at the tackle? And and if he can do that at either of the positions – then he's he's going to claim that position, and then the other guy, you know, at the other. And so I think that that it's additionally challenging for him because he might be competing for the starting job at two different positions. But that speaks to his talent. It speaks to his versatility. And so we'll see how that plays out. You know, all things being equal, if Damian George and J.C. Latham are essentially the same guy at right tackle, then J.C. will win the job. And the, the idea there is that J.C. is probably the starting left tackle next season when Neil moves on. And you would rather him start at left tackle after having started a season at right tackle. And so Damian George is going to have to really be – he almost has an uphill battle because he's fighting for two positions, which is good and bad. And he's got to be demonstrably better than J.C. Latham because if they're the same guy – then J.C. will get the job. 
that's that's sort of my prediction. Now, he's one of the best linemen on the team. And when we think about a, a swing lineman, I think he could swing at probably three positions. That sounded weird. But nonetheless, I think he's he's one of the best uh, players uh, on the team. And I think that he could play either the guard spots and uh, the right tackle spot. So he's he's one of those glue linemen that you have to have. You have to have one of these guys. And so he absolutely could start at one of those two positions. If not, he's certainly the backup at three positions, uh, the lead backup at three positions. And so that'll be interesting. He'll get a lot of play this season, either with the ones or like with the one and the halves, uh, certainly with the twos. So that'll be uh, that that'll uh, that'll be certainly interesting. I do have so I teased this at the beginning, and I feel like I'm out of words, uh, but but I want to say this. I think that, and I think I don't know if I read that Saban said this or just just sort of dropped it. I don't know, but uh, you know Saban talking about being on the trend setting curve on being, being on the trend curve. And and sometimes I think, yeah, not only is he on the trend curve, sometimes he is the trend curve. And I don't know if Saban actually said that or somebody said that, or I just read enough articles that I fused that together in my head. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I do believe it. I do believe that, you know, he's either on the trend curve or he sometimes is setting the trend curve. And I think when we think about this offense being the opportunity to be, as multiple as any that we've seen. And we think about Saban's sort of proclivity for defense. And we think about Saban's sort of history uh, in the style of play, complementary football that, uh, that, that is probably still really his, where his heart and soul is. I think this offense is going to be the 2020s introductory version of a reimagined complementary offense. Now, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know that I'd fully know what that means. I mean, it's not going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. Hold the ball as long as you can. Rest your defense. It's not going to be quite like like that. As as a as a series over series over series over series. That's who you are. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. But could it be selectively? We're going to go heads down and eat some clock with the offense at this, at the 11 minute mark of the second quarter, or, Hey, we're up by 21. We're going to flip a switch and we're going to, we're going to not play NASCAR uh, offense. We are not going to be all gas, no breaks because we have a 21 point lead. We're going to hold the ball and preserve our defense. Uh, and then, and then, how do we do that? And when we think about defense, I know this is offense, but we're t- but in defense, uh, but I, the, this is a mesh point. Um, in 2020, Alabama was the number one defense in the SEC and gave up you know 19 points uh, a game on average, and had two games where they gave up over 40. You think that can't be a leading defense? But in this era, it is. And uh, and if you go back not that many years ago, uh, during the Saban area. Uh, we had the leading defense not only in the conference but in the in the country and averaged like eight or nine points a game. I mean, that's a huge difference, more than double. But both were number one defenses in the conference. And so that speaks to sort of the evolution, devolution, I don't know, of, of the game. And so I think that there is an opportunity, and it'll be subtle, but I just think there's an opportunity if this defense, because it's so versatile and so talented, and we're going to have that show separately. But if this offense 
can be versatile enough. Maybe we're not scoring 49 points a game, but we're scoring 43 points a game. And every game we're possessing the ball three and a half more minutes, whatever it is, right? Uh, then that starts to be a subtle but material difference, especially in the scoring opportunities your opponents have and uh, in, the, in the snaps that you're putting on uh, the defense. And so they're fresher as the, as the season goes on. And so it'll be a subtle, nuanced sort of metric that'll track there. And so I would not be surprised if this team, if the defense holds teams to like 14 points a game, which is a big difference from 19. Uh, if, you know, if it's 13 and, and a half, again, big difference from 19. And I think the offense, it's an offensive show, I'm getting into defense, but it's this complementary nature. I think the offense will have a complementary facet to it that we've not seen before. I think the Ole Miss game, Saban says, I don't want to do that shit again. I don't want to just trade scores all day and hope their center like flubs a snap and that's how we get our margin. No. I want, let's hold the ball a little bit. Let's stop them, but let's hold the ball a little bit on offense because that helps us to be able to stop them. And over the course of the game, maybe maybe we take away a possession from the opponent. So I don't know, that, that that's going to be super interesting to watch. And again, it's not something we're going to see a lot of in camp. It's not something we're going to see by halftime of the Miami game. It's something that we're just going to have to trend line it. But um, that's a prediction I put out there. I think that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, to certainly keep an eye on. So why don't we wrap this and then we'll come back and do, we'll do one more show for defense and uh, and special teams. Check out, this is an article series on the, the website, alabamafootballpodcast.com. If you have any questions, email me directly. I answer all of them unless you're selling SEO services. Alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com is the email. And check out our uh, member program. It's We've made it just dumb simple. Still some great bonuses low dollar, $2 per month. It's reoccurring or $18 for the year. You basically get the summer for free. Uh, if you sign up for that really good bonuses out there. And, uh, it's just a, a simple way to help sort of support the show. You know, the audio hosting, the everything, everything, the editing, everything we do, you know, uh, cost a, a little bit of money and it's a, it's a hobby. It's a lot of fun, but, uh, if you really, really enjoy what we do, you want to see us, you know, help us sort of grow, then that's certainly something you can do. Another thing that you can do is check us out on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. I mean, give us an authentic review, but the five-star reviews help people find us, uh, help us rank uh, relative to other college and Alabama uh, podcasts as well. All right, I'll stop talking now. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.